Hi, voice teachers. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast is all about one of the most stressful and difficult situations that a lot of us find ourselves in in the private teaching studio. And that is when we feel we need to let a student go. That's right. We're talking about firing students. We're going to talk about how and when and specifically how not to let a student go and let a family know that it's not working out. And we're also going to talk about strategies that you can use so that you avoid this awkward situation in the first place. It's all about better communication, setting boundaries, and being a professional. It's all here. Thanks for joining me on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast. Resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Hey there, voice teachers. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. Today's topic, oh, it's a tricky one. I actually have two music stands worth of notes here. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about dealing with students and families who we don't really want to be dealing with anymore. Do you have a student right now that you wish would just call you up and tell you that they are quitting? Like, it would be a relief. Um, Or do you have a parent right now, a mom or a dad, who's absolutely stressing you out? This is one of the most difficult situations in our industry. And, well, actually, it's not unique to just private teaching. This is in any service industry. Any industry that is dealing with customers, clients, relationships, it's really challenging. Now, before we get started, I just want to keep in mind, I want everybody to keep in mind, that every situation is very, very unique. And we're going to talk about different uh, strategies, but there's no perfect way to fire a student. I actually don't like the term fire a student. I think it's really unkind. Have you ever been fired? It's awful. Even if you're let go nicely, it still feels awful. So um, we're going to talk about, you know, strategies. I don't think there's a perfect way to let a, a family go. I definitely think there are wrong ways that you can say goodbye to a family. And um, you really want to make sure that you're a professional and that you do it as, as gracefully as possible. And we're going to talk about that. I'm really fortunate because I uh, have a wonderful community of teachers with years of experience. Uh, But my husband, Sean, is also a private music teacher. Um, He's been teaching (laughs) for 28 years. Now he teaches guitar, mandolin and bass, so therefore he is not as cool and as awesome as a voice teacher. (laughs) Ha ha ha. But he definitely has a lifetime of experience. So When I was telling him and doing the research for this podcast, you know, I talked to him a lot and asked him about his experiences. And he says, you know, over the years, um, he's had situations where, uh, you know, he's finally sat down with a family and said, you know, this isn't working out. And it it went quite well. You know, in some cases, um, the student and the family were super relieved. They didn't want to be there. They were just staying in lessons because they felt obligated to. And it was miserable for both Sean and the, and the student. And he's had situations where letting someone go hasn't gone well. And, and people, people got angry. People were hurt. 
nasty emails were sent. Not by Sean, but by the family. And um, uh, both of us, in our early days of teaching, um, have been in situations where we didn't have the authority to fire a student. So if you're working at a music school or conservatory, you might not have the ability to let someone go. Now, hopefully you work for an employer who puts teachers first, a location that has, you know, a really solid payment and cancellation policy in effect and a standards of, of student that they expect. You should never be forced to work with someone who is abusive or disrespectful um, or makes you uncomfortable. Uh, I had an experience once many years ago where, you know, I was in my lesson studio and there was an older gentleman and he kept touching my shoulder. Oh yeah, creepy. So I went to the administration, I went to my boss and she took care of it right away. I never saw the man again. Now, I hope that you have that kind of relationship if you have an employer and I hope that you feel like it's a safe environment. Um... And if you do have problems with a family or a student, I hope that you have somebody that you can talk to to help you resolve that situation. And if you feel that you just don't have any of that in place, I hope you're looking forward. I hope you're looking towards, you know, finding a better teaching position, finding a better place for you. Because teaching is challenging enough without having to deal with people that you don't want to deal with. So let's get started. Now, I've had some really interesting conversations with my colleagues, and it's interesting because we don't all agree on the reasons why we would want to ask a student to leave. I was, this was actually really fascinating. Now, there are unforgivables, and those are pretty straight ahead. So, non-payment, um, frequent cancellations or no-shows, um, you know, parents that you know, argue with your policies, parents that don't like your policies and try to find loopholes in your policies or complain constantly and make you feel bad about your policies. Those, that was the top one. Everybody could agree on that. There is no reason to deal with anyone who affects your bottom line, your financial bottom line. This is not a hobby for majority of us. And this is what we do for a living. So if you have a student or a family that's just costing you money and taking up your time, you've got to find a way to get rid of them nicely. We're going to talk about that. The other unforgivables are things like, you know, uh, disrespectful students, students that are rude, um, students that make you feel uncomfortable or unsafe, things like um, students that never participate in studio recitals or in any studio activities. For some teachers, that's unforgivable. They don't wanna work with you if you're not participating. And for other teachers, they're a little more flexible. So again, that's for me, that's not really an issue. I'm not gonna take offense if they can't participate. I'm gonna encourage them to participate. Um, the other gray area, uh, was the child's learning style versus the teacher's teaching style. Um, 
it's difficult if you're having a hard time communicating with the child and you feel that you're not getting through to them and maybe they're not progressing you know hopefully you have enough experience and you can work around this and try to find a solution but sometimes it's just really difficult and it gets frustrating for both the child and the teacher um, sometimes it's a personality thing Sometimes you just don't jive with the kid or sometimes I've had relationships where I get along great with the kid, but their parents, I do not understand. So personality conflicts can be really stressful. It's not difficult for those relationships to become awkward. And you know, that's the kid that calls in sick and you're like, oh, thank goodness. Now for voice teachers, repertoire. I think this is one of the unique things in our teaching studios that can really be a problem and that is if the student wants to sing repertoire that we don't teach or we don't feel comfortable teaching or we don't want them to sing. Um, sometimes parents want their children to sing things that we are not comfortable working with them or we understand you know we, we just think it's not appropriate or it's it's just not the right piece and then there's this conflict between parent and student and teacher what always used to really irk me was if the parents didn't like the piece the child was working on they wouldn't encourage the child to practice but if it was a song they liked then they were all over it that used to drive me nuts. I don't think that's grounds for firing, but that's certainly grounds for a discussion. Now, before we get into the firing part of this this podcast, now, if some of you have that just awful student, you really gonna you really want to get rid of them, and you're dying for me just to get to the firing part, be patient, because I've got some good stuff here. Before firing, before you have to have that awkward conversation, um, most of these. Uh, problems that we've just discussed that we just talked about uh, can be solved with better communication now that's easy for me to say the problem here is is that sometimes um, parents don't make it easy to communicate sometimes they are MIA they are missing in action they drop it I call them phantom parents they drop the kids off you never see them maybe they wave from the car so you don't get that that eye-to-eye -eye relationship, face-to-face, eye-to-eye. You don't get that face-to-face -face relationship. You don't get an opportunity to talk to them. They don't see what you're doing with their child in the lesson. Um, but I want to make something really clear, and I think most of you understand this. Uh, email and text or Facebook messaging or whatever kind of messaging, they're not great ways to communicate. In fact, they're really poor methods of communication. If you have, uh, you know, a concern, an awkward situation, you want to make it worse, send an email. Um, I have lived through this uh, and I've learned my lesson many years ago. And even if a parent calls me, or sorry, emails me with a concern, uh, I always call them back. I've been in situations where a simple email concern and email banter back and forth turned into this huge, awful incident where, you know, my boss was emailed and called and it got completely out of hand and it was a complete misunderstanding. 
And as soon as we all sat down and talked to each other and the communication was clear, there was no issue at all. It was a complete waste of time. And it really put a damper on the relationship with the student because of this huge blowout via email. So now parents often will say to you their preferred method of communication is texting or email. That shouldn't matter. If you have an issue, you need to call them and talk to them. And I know some of you are cringing. I know some of you are going, I don't want to do that. I cannot talk to this person. They are unreasonable. I get that. But that is the preferred method. And people need to hear tone. See, what happens in email and text is people read tone. You can take a very simple email and read it a couple of different ways. And we often tend to read it in a negative way. So a simple comment or simple question can turn into an accusation. Um, Texting is just downright confusing. I mean, with all the little short forms and spelling errors and, and what our phones correct when we're texting, it's really difficult to understand. So again, we read negative tone into that and communication, a lot of communication is listening to the tone in someone's voice. So even though it might not be your go-to, it might be easier just to fire off an email, we have brave fingertips, don't we, when we send off an email. So make sure you use the phone and you call and you talk. Most of the problems that we talked about are so easily fixed if a phone call is made. Now, the other thing that is so important, before you fire someone, you really have to look at your payment policy and your cancellation policy. Is your policy really clear? Is your policy available? Is it on your website? Is it posted in your studio? And most importantly, have parents signed a copy of it? And do they have a copy of your of your policy? So that that right there, again, a clear studio policy can eliminate a lot of these issues. And when addressing these issues, you know, with a student or a parent or family, you can say simple things like, you know, this is in my my studio policies. This is nothing new. I'm not changing the rules. This is stated here. So make sure that your policy is clear, concise, available, and do not be afraid to reissue your studio policy at the beginning of each term. Even if they have it, it doesn't matter. They should have to sign it again and they should be given a copy again. Now, here's the challenging part with both of those two things. So communication and clear policies is consistency. So are you consistent in enforcing your policy? That's the challenge. And I have to say, here's my confession I'm not consistent. I like to try. I'm always trying to be consistent. But right now in my teaching studio, I have two families that I have not been consistent with. Um, I can make all sorts of excuses. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I one week I see the mom and one week I see the dad. Like, I can make all the excuses in the world. But the bottom line is I haven't been consistent in reaching out and letting them know that their payment has been late and it needs to come at the beginning of the month. So I... I need to fix this situation. Now, I don't think it's a situation that I'm going to fire anybody. I just need to get on the phone and say, hey, by the way, uh, this is when payment is due. 
Am I looking forward to that conversation? No. Have I cleaned my house several times in lieu of calling the parents? Yes. But again, if I leave this too long, it's going to turn into a huge problem. So I need to do something about it. Um, And that comes to our next point. You know, are you communicating concerns as they happen and in the beginning? Or do you let things build up? That's a problem. You gotta, you gotta address things as quickly as possible. Listen to me, the woman that hasn't called those two families. Now, um, here's the other thing that that before firing, you really have to ask yourself in order to be fair. Um, uh, have you, the teacher, have you made efforts to improve the situation? So, if this is a learning style, teaching style thing, have you have you done something to change? Have you tried a new approach? Because um, you're the teacher, you're the professional. So we should have um, we should have tools in our teaching toolbox that allow us to to connect with different students or to approach these issues and change our approach. You need to ask yourself: Have you done anything to contribute to the issue? Like I was just saying, I haven't called these parents, so it's really my fault. And the other thing too, and and I I really want to caution um, everyone, we shared a really interesting article and I'm going to post a link to it on our podcast page. And it was about um, childhood trauma. And it was an interesting read for teachers because sometimes we make the assumption that trauma is something like physical abuse, you know, or grieving like somebody has died. But professionals, mental health professionals, um, counselors, child and youth counselors, um, they recognize and classify other things uh, and they have the same symptoms and the same effect on children um, and, and they call it trauma. And that could be things like they're being bullied at school or um, they, the parents are going through divorce Um, Sometimes just moving to a new city, you know, can be really traumatic to a child. So, you know, you want to make sure that you understand the big picture as much as you possibly can before deciding whether or not you need to fire the student. Um, And maybe can it wait? Do you need to fire them right this very second? Or could you maybe change your approach or back off a little bit and just allow them to finish the year and then can it wait till like maybe this the summer break now for those of you who just wanted this information you just wanted to know how is the best way to fire a student thank you for being patient before we get started uh, there's no formula for this and there's no guarantee uh that even if you follow all of these guidelines that someone might still be really upset and it might not go as well as you planned and the thing we need to remember when we're dealing with conflict is that you cannot control the way people react you can only control your reactions and any um, uncomfortable conflict situation requires uh, that we stay as calm as possible that's easier said than done sometimes especially when people are being rude or disrespectful but um, I had a situation, really quick story, where I actually wasn't firing the student. I was just telling her mom I really thought she needed to take a break over the summer. 
And I was like, uh, yeah, I want her to take a break over the summer. I don't really, she hasn't really been applying herself for a, for a few months and, um, you know, take a break. And maybe in the fall, when she comes back, she'll be more inspired. Well, mom started crying, hysterically sobbing. So she started crying and then the students started crying and I had two people in my teaching studio bawling their eyes out. I I didn't expect it. I had no idea that they would react this way. Now, looking back on the situation, I'm proud to say that I kept calm, although I was in like complete shock. And I sat down, I let them kind of have their moment, handed them tissues, and then we talked about the situation. And... Um, it was very strange. It was very uncomfortable. And I really liked both the student and the mom. So I felt really bad that they, they reacted this way. Um, so again, we can't control how people are going to react. Um, but you stay calm and cool and professional. So you've made the decision. This family has to go. This, this student, for whatever reason, isn't working out. Like we said earlier... You're not going to email them or text them. And the one thing I really, really don't want anybody to do is you're not going to use the child as or the student as the messenger. You're not going to send a child home, a student home, and go, oh, by the way, my teacher doesn't want to teach me anymore. You're going to be professional and courteous and empathetic. You're going to think about how they may feel and be really mindful of that. When you're talking to them, um, you're going to state your issue and how it's not working. And here's a couple of little guidelines for you. So first of all, um, you want to try not to be accusatory. You don't want to be like pointing the finger. Well, you did this and you did this and you said this. What you can actually do that it makes it a little easier on the family, on the student is with being reasonable here. If you can put the blame on yourself. So <laughs> when I finally get around to calling those families, I'm not going to say to them, hey, you're late and you're always late with paying me and sometimes you don't pay me the right amount. I'm going to say, uh, hey, um, you know, I'm really sorry about this. It's, it's totally my fault. I have not been consistent in communicating with you about the fees and I haven't been consistent in sending out the invoices. So um, I'm going to do a better job of that, but I do need to settle up with you for this month. That's how I'm going to do it. See, when I talk it through, it doesn't sound so scary. <laughs> yeah, I think you should send me an email and see if I've called or talked to those families. You should you should hold me accountable. Um, anyhow, I'm also not going to over-explain. When I contact this family, I'm not going to say, oh my gosh, I've been so busy, and my son's been sick, and I've been sick, and I'm so busy with the full voice workbooks that I've just gotten behind. That is not important information. You don't need to over-explain. You don't need to give them details that aren't important. Um, you want to be honest and fact-based, uh, you want to be kind but firm. 
Um, and if it's, if it's a teaching issue, if you feel that it's just like a personality teaching issue, maybe you might have a, a recommendation for another teacher or another program that you think might be suitable for the student. Now, one of the catches here is if you don't really want to recommend this family to another, to another teacher, then don't. And the other thing I would like to say is um, try to offer compliments. Again, you don't need to gush over, you know, the child or the situation. But it's always helpful to say things like, you know, your daughter's really smart. And I really think she's fantastic. And she's got a really great voice. She's, there's a lot of talent there. But she wants to sing music that I don't really teach. And I think that there's somebody else that can help her. So again, if you can, give give them compliments. Make them feel good, as good as you can, um, about, you know, themselves. So uh, those are those are some of the guidelines. And the other thing, too, is don't be afraid to let them talk. Don't be afraid to let them... Um, you know, have some closure, you know, maybe state their point or their issues, um, you know, and, and hopefully, hopefully they do it respectfully. Now, what do you do if it doesn't go well? What do you do if they're really angry and they're really hurt? What do you do? Well, again, like I said before, you can't control the way people react, but you can control how you react. So you're going to stay calm. If they are abusive or disrespectful um, or rude in any way, um, you're going to um, walk away. You're going to say, well, I've said what I've had to say. I'm sorry you feel this way, um, but this conversation is over. Uh, If they are, um, you know, aggressive or negative or disrespectful in email, you don't engage. You do not send an email back. Don't get involved. And for the sake of your own mental health, once the situation is over, um, and I'm not going to start singing here, but uh, let it go. And now you have a spot and a, and a great student can now fill that spot. And think about all the wonderful students that you do have. Don't dwell on this awful person or this unfortunate relationship, whatever the situation may be. Let it go. You're thinking about that song right now. I know you are. So now one more thing. Actually, I've got two more things. I'm going to wrap up here. When is the best time to fire someone? When is the best time to let them go? Well, uh, truthfully, it's before they even get started with you. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, But I think if you've been teaching for a while, you kind of know. You kind of get warning signs about people. So this is where our screening procedures are. The way that we screen students um, can be uh, maybe streamlined. Uh, Maybe we need to be more careful in our screening. Now, I want to share with everybody something that I have been doing for several years, and it has served me well. So when I started teaching out of my own teaching studio, 
and I was the one that was uh, handling the inquiries and talking to the families and, and you know, finding out all the information. I found myself... Um, I found myself getting stuck on the phone, having really lengthy conversations with families about their daughter or their son, only to find out that they weren't available on the days that I was available or my lesson policies didn't really jive with their family. And I found myself just wasting a lot of time. Now, the majority of this email message is is saved in my drafts folder and it basically is a very well written, very cleanly laid out with small paragraphs and little headings. And the important things that I want people to know are in bolded letters. And it's basically everything that they need to know about my teaching studio. Um, the days that I work, the availability, um, my my fees, my payment and cancellation policy, my teaching philosophy, the music I do and do not teach. And it's all there, really well written. It took me hours, by the way. So I wanted to kind of, I guess, automate the, the, the uh, system that I had and save myself some time and some trouble. So this email is saved in my drafts. And when I get an inquiry, I personalize the in, the beginning of it, and then I attach the rest of the email. It's not an attachment, by the way. Um, people are, are reading a lot of their messages on their phones, and sometimes attachments don't always open up as nicely as they could. So it's in the body of the email. And sometimes when I send this back to a family, I don't hear back from them. And I'm okay with that. I haven't wasted any time on the phone. They haven't wasted any of their time for whatever reason. Maybe it's my fees. Maybe it's the times I'm available. Maybe it's my policies. I don't care. The bottom line is, whatever the reason, they're not going to take up any more of my time. And when a student gets back to me, a family gets back to me, then I follow up, fortune is in the follow-up, with a phone call. And then I'm going to talk to them. And the first thing I ask them is did you read the email? And one of the things that I put in the email, and I very clearly put this, it's in bold letters, and it says, please read the following policy and see if this works for your busy family schedule. I put that in every email. It's really important. I want them to make sure that we're going to be a good fit. So the screening of students having clear policies, whether it's on your website or otherwise, um, does goes a long way in preventing you from being in any awkward situation where you have to let go of a student. Now, even with the best screening procedures, you're still going to end up occasionally with a student that just doesn't work out. So if you have an awkward phone call that you have to make, <laughs> my heart goes out to you. I know how awkward it is. I've been there. We've all been there. You know, if you are in a situation where you are stuck with a problem student and it is affecting your mental health, it's taking the joy out of teaching for you, you need to act. And you need to take action, whether it's to fix the situation by communicating 
um, or whether it, you can only fix this situation by asking them to uh, find someone else, I hope that you have the courage to do it because it, it does, it makes a huge difference. And um, I also want you to take an opportunity, if it's possible, to frame it in a positive way. So these awkward situations are great opportunities for learning, not only as teachers, you know, if we look back on the situation, how could I have handled this differently? You know, maybe this situation's making you reevaluate your policies. That's a good thing. Maybe this situation is making you reevaluate and improve your screening procedures. That's a really good thing. Maybe the situation is making you look at how you communicate and, and how you set boundaries. Communication and setting boundaries is not an easy thing. And there's always things that we can do to improve. So take a look at the situation and what can you learn and how can you grow from it. And that's that. That's all I have for you. So thank you so much for joining me uh, to, on today's podcast. I'm wishing everybody well. Happy singing, question mark. And uh, if you've got a phone call to make, I'm wishing you all the best. Thanks for joining me. And I hope to see you. And I won't see you. I hope to talk to you on our next podcast. You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Canoemusic.ca. Ah, there's that damn bird. Gosh, she's right up there. He's like, why are you, why, bird? Come on. If it's not the cats, it's this bird. Bird!